You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Justin, we have a podcast. Diving, diving deep. Diving deep into all things Texas, both on and off the field. Here's Sean Pendergast and Pro Football Hall of Famer, the General, Sean McClain. Welcome, welcome to Utopia. Hey everybody, welcome in. It is the Utopia Football Podcast. Great to be with you on a Tuesday, our Tuesday edition of the show. It is a mailbag edition of the Utopia Football Podcast. I got all your questions right here, everybody. Uh, H-O-U mailbag at gmail.com if you want to send us some questions in a future episode. Um, I'm Sean Pendergast, one half of Payne and Pendergast Sports Radio 610, joined as always by my good friend, the Hall of Famer, and our senior columnist at SportsRadio610.com, John McClain. John, good afternoon. How are you? I'm doing great, Sean, as always. Good. Yeah, John, I, I'm doing great, you're doing great, and the Texans are doing great. Um, you and I were just talking before the show. I don't know um, You know, I don't know if you're a big power rankings nerd like I am. I'm a huge power yeah, rankings nerd. I read nerd. them all. Yeah, I read them all. I take them very seriously. Um, anything that ranks people or things, uh, and judges them, I am all about. Um, and the Texans for the first time in a long time are getting judged very favorably by the power ranking community. John, I, Seth and I do a segment every Tuesday at nine o'clock, right after all the power rankings come out at eight o'clock called power ranking of the power. We power rank the power rankings, um, as to how they stack the Texans up. And there's six of them that we go through. You know, NFL.com, ESPN, Athletic, so on and so forth. It looks like, on average, of the six that Seth and I subscribe to, the average appears to be about 12. That the Texans are one, the Texans, according to the experts, are a team that is in the top third of the NFL right now. This is a remarkable, remarkable job done by D'Amico Ryans through nine games so far. Absolutely. I wouldn't put them in the top 10. Uh, but I think 12 sounds about right. People have lost sight of the fact that you got beat three weeks ago at Carolina for the Panthers' only victory. And and uh, C.J. Stroud threw for 140 yards, and they lost to Atlanta. Both of those on field goals with no time left. But they're in a position now to win the next three. And, boy, if they do, and they beat, that means they beat the Jaguars, and that means they – will be tied for first, assuming Jacksonville bounces back against Tennessee, and then they would own the tiebreaker. So technically, they would be in the division lead. I think we'll just see them climb steadily. Yeah, I mean, John, they are sitting on the cusp of such an incredible opportunity to further recapture the hearts and minds of people here in Houston. It, I mean, it's, it's really um, – it, it's it's so exciting. I you know Arizona very winnable game. Although the spread on it the spread on this game, we'll talk more about the Arizona game come Thursday. 
The spread on this game is down to Texans minus four. I, what, what, when I tell you that, what's your reaction that the Texans are a four-point favorite at home against the Arizona Cardinals? I guess it's the Kyler Murray factor because there were six and a half when I saw it early. Yeah. And now it's now it's four. So a lot of people think the Cardinals who run the ball really well, but it doesn't matter. Texans went great at run defense. Actually eighth in the NFL this week after being 32nd last week. But I guess it's the Murray factor because he looked better than I thought he was going to look in his first game back. I thought it was the Texans game in which he would look kind of like his old self, but there's no other reason to pick this game so close. Yeah, it's it's wild. Too. I jumped on the Texans at minus four when I saw it. It was five and a half when the week opened, but I saw five and a half opening the week. You might have seen six and a half. I could I could see either one making sense. I thought five and a half felt a little light, but I'm I'm probably a bit I'm looking at it through battle red goggles, probably is my guess. John, the other thing that's going on right now is that CJ Stroud seems to be getting some serious MVP buzz from a lot of people that watch the league. I don't know how much buzz he's getting from people A who vote on it and B odds makers. But CJ CJ Stroud, John, on Monday was the cover story for Peter King's Football Morning in America. You know, he was the cover photo in the headline. In the Athletic, their 10 big takeaways from the weekend, he was the cover photo and the headline. The words MVP have been bumping up against CJ Stroud all week long. John, I tweeted this on Monday. He is the A, B, C, and D topic in this city right now. He also uh, is all the shows on ESPN, the NFL Network, they're all talking about him. But I just liked at betonline.com, and I think he's fifth in the MVP. That's, that's incredible. Behind all the usual suspect quarterbacks. That's amazing. And I don't think he's going to be the first rookie to be voted MVP since Jim Brown in 1957. And people forget he threw for 140 yards three weeks ago because he's engineered the two comebacks, and he's been great these last two games, and it doesn't matter who's in, who's out of the lineup. He's often make everybody look good. But it is astonishing when you think about where this team was after it was 0-2. And I noticed, uh, I think it's about online.com that sends out the odds going back to the offseason, start of the season, and each weekend when the Texans were 0-2, uh, their odds were 500-1 to 1 on the super, winning Super Bowl, and now I think it's 66-1. to 1. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, a, they're a frisky, frisky dark horse team right now, I think. You know, John, I, I call them tiny little signs of progress. You know that. You know, hey, are they in the hunt on the – on the, on the graphic, you know, for the playoffs, that was going to be one of my signs of progress this year. You know, are we, are we talking about them being flexed into a primetime game? That's a tiny little sign of progress. Today's tiny little sign of progress, John. I'm watching first take on the TV in the studio at sports radio, 610 this morning while Seth and I are doing pain and Pendergast and the, the topic, which, you know, as a, as you know, they put as a grad, you know, it's a caption across the bottom. It says who can threaten the chiefs. And the graphic has pictures of, you know, six, five or six quarterbacks kind of holding the ball like this, getting ready to throw the ball. Who was one of those quarterbacks? C.J. Stroud. C.J. Stroud, baby. Yeah, C.J. Stroud. Right now they're in the playoffs, Buffalo. Yeah, absolutely. The quarterbacks out. were like Tua, Josh Allen, C.J. Stroud, Lamar Jackson. Like that's, that's where we are. I'm going to tell you who wasn't up there. Zach Wilson, Russell Wilson, Gardner Minshew. Uh, Mac Jones, like, uh, you know, the, 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 that's where the Texans, that's the pool the Texans have been swimming in the last couple of years. 
they're in the they're adult swim now, John. They're in the adult pool now. They're in the deep end. That's it, baby. That's it. All right, John. You got some general news and notes for the people? I do. I got five of them here. Let's do it. Let's do it. The Texans just had a game in which C.J. Stroud, Devin Singletary, and Noah Brown, who's been an incredible surprise, had three hundred at least 350 yards passing, 150 receiving, 150 rushing for the first time since 1998 when Peyton Manning was a rookie for the uh, Colts. And he threw for 350. Marshall Falk ran for at least 150. And the wide receiver shocked me. I thought it would be Marvin Harrison who would have been in his second year, but it wasn't. Do you know who it is? If you see Torrance Marshall, I saw this stat. Torrance Torrance Small. Torrance Small. Okay, someone put Torrance Marshall. Torrance Small. They got that one mixed up with Terrence Marshall. I guess. I guess, yeah. Small. I couldn't believe it. I, I remember him vaguely, but I, I couldn't. I was stunned by that one. That's crazy. And and I th- and you pointed it out, John. That was that's not the last time it happened involving a rookie quarterback. That's the last time it happened. Period. It just so happens that that was Peyton Manning's rookie year. By the way, that happened in Peyton Manning's rookie year, and the Colts weren't nearly in Peyton's rookie year what the Texans are in C.J. Stroud's rookie year. That was Texans a bad already team. won more games than the Colts won when Peyton was a rookie. And I don't think have. I don't think Stroud's going to come close to Manning's rookie interceptions of twenty eight. How many was it? Twenty eight. Can you imagine? I was covering the, last... the NFL then, and I remember when Tony Dungy took over. I was doing a story with him, and I was with him, and he said, first thing I got to do is get with Peyton Manning and get him to cut back on those interceptions, and he did." He did. Did he ever? <laughs> did now, he ever? The second one is uh, you go back 40 years, 40, and uh, he's the only rookie quarterback to engineer back-to-back come-from-behind victories in the last two minutes. The, so, so say that again. He's the only rookie to engineer back-to-back Comeback drives victories in the last two minutes in the last four years. Yeah, John, he's he um he's got the it factor, man. Like he's he's it's nine games, so I've caveat everything with it's nine games. But I have rooted for so many teams that don't have guys like this at quarterback. Like I've watched Tom Brady and Peyton Manning and you know guys like that through the years, just where the, the guys where you watch, and if you're on the other side, you just know it's coming. You know what I mean? It's like you're at the doctor's office. Like, you know, it's like, okay, let's go get the rubber glove out. I know it's coming here. All right. I know what's coming. And that's, that's what CJ Stroud is so far this season. He's the, I mean, John, he, he really should have three if the Texans could get off the field against Atlanta. You know, this really all started this part of CJ Stroud's repertoire really started week five in that Atlanta game where he drove the team down and hit Dalton Schultz for that go ahead touchdown on a play that he drew up. So, yeah, and that was the next one. Yeah, let's keep is, going. Keep, keep the uh, notes coming. Involving uh, Noah Brown. I went back through his uh, game logs on every game he played with the Cowboys, and he was there actually six seasons. He was hurt one season. Last year was his best season. He had, I think, 40, 43 catches, something like that. 
Mm-hmm. So the last two games, he's had 153 and 172 yards. He never had a 100-yard game with the Cowboys. The best he ever did was 91 yards last season, and he beat Cincinnati. And then the next best he ever had, 85 yards against the Texans. That must have gotten Nick Casario's attention because in that game against the Texans, four catches, 85 yards. Remember, the Cowboys barely won, and he averaged 22, 21.2 yards per catch. It was It's what he has done since he came back from being injured, but mainly these last two games, he, he's open, and that last play he made to break the tackles and get another 10 yards, that was just so big by Noah Brown, who is in the last year of his contract. Yeah, well, he's in the only year of his contract. It was a one-year deal. Like these, John, these one-year guys that Nick signed, Noah Brown, one-year, $2.6 million. Uh, uh, Dalton Schultz, one-year, $6.5 million, something like that. Uh, Sheldon Rankins, one-year, just under $10 million. Um, Den- uh, Denzel Perryman, one-year, $2.5 million, something like that. Uh, Devin Singletary, one-year, $2.75 million. I'm missing one. Oh, Shaquille Griffin. Huge pick in that last game. One year, $3.5 million. Nick has hit it out of the ballpark with his veteran one-year signings. And it's going to be fascinating to see two things. One, how many of these guys he brings back. Like, how many of these guys want to come back on fairly cheap one-year, maybe two-year cheap deals just to be part of this whole thing? Because he, they, there clearly is something special going on with this team right now. Two, what is it? What does Nick Casario look like shopping in the Dior aisles of free agency outside of the Texans building? You know what I mean? Like he's he's given big contracts out, but it's to guys that we're familiar with that are already in the building. He's going to have enough cap space, John, that if they feel there's a huge need, if there's a big defensive tackle on the free agency market this year, like Javon Hargrave was last year, you know, does Nick go spending on that? Does he bring that person in? You know, how does he do? spending the big bucks on free agents that are true, like bring in from another team free agency. Um, I'm really, really intrigued to see how that goes, because as you point out with Noah Brown and others, he's hit it out of the park this year. I'm writing a column on if the, if Ryan's is a candidate for coach of the year and Stroud MVP, why not Casario for executive? I agree. Yeah. I agree. Uh, eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Devin Singletary carried the ball 30 times last time Texans had a running back, carried the ball 30 times. Alfred Blue, 2015. What? What? 
Alfred Blue carried the was, ball 30 times in a game. John, who was it against? I think it was at Cleveland, and he had over 100 yards. Okay. He was a workhorse. Yeah, that was, uh, that was Ryan Mallett's only start that season where he went from beginning to end in that game because that was they had benched Ryan Fitzpatrick. Ryan Mallett starts against Cleveland, threw a touchdown pass to J.J. Watt in that game, if you recall. And then um, the next week against Cincinnati, he tore his pectoral muscle, and he was done after two starts. Um, but, uh, yeah, that was Alfred Blue carrying the ball 30 times. John, you and I lived in a world and covered a team in which Alfred Blue was carrying the ball 30 times in a game. That's brutal. <laughs> he did, and they finished 9-7 yeah. in Bill O'Brien's second season. Um, now the highest, according to pro football focus, the highest graded player the Texans had in Sunday's game. And they had a lot of players that played great was Sheldon Rankins coming mm-hmm. back from an injury. He had a grade of 93.8. And, uh, that was the highest for any Texan. And I was kind of surprised some of the others were as low, but his was uh, 93.8. He played great. It's a, uh, Three sacks, most of his career. Last time the Texans had a player with three sacks was J.J. Watt in 2018 when he was on his way to 16 that season. Mm. John, Sheldon Rankins looked like Aaron Donald on Sunday. He did, didn't he? He I watched Brian Baldinger go over every one of his sacks using the end zone camera. And he just went on and on. He just beat guys. Yeah. Even bad. One time, Jonathan Grenard worked over Orlando Brown Jr. Just like he worked over Iki Aquanu at uh, Charlotte. And he abused Orlando Brown. He's huge. Just drove him back into Joe Burrow. He got one sack, but he was great. And Jonathan Grenard wasn't one of the top graded players, but he's in the last year of his contract. He's going to get paid by somebody. He is. He is. And good for him. Um, hope it's the Texans. I'd love to see Jonathan Grenard stick around. That would be great. What's going to um, happen on these contracts, Sean? Most of these guys know it's their only chance to get a big one. And they're going to go where they get the most money because that's yeah. just the way it is. Hopefully, D'Amico Ryans and Nick Casario, who work so well together, will target three, four, and then maybe get guys like they got this year. Guys who are hungry, who are looking for a big payday, will come in here and buy in and uh, play for a winner that probably next year should be favored to win the AFC South. Well, I, I yes, I agree. Um, this is where I really like having D'Amico working with Nick, um, is that I think, I, I think having D'Amico there as a guy who can kind of as they're going through free agents, kind of sniff out the guys that that are the, you know, the good culture fits on these one-year deals. I think that's the commonality of, of all these guys they brought in. Um, they, you know, they haven't brought in any one-year, you know, quitters or turds or anything like that. You know, like they brought in guys who are, like you talk, we talked to Devin Singletary in the post game. Damian Pierce is going to be back pretty soon. And if Devin Singletary isn't carrying the ball, forget about 30, even 10 times in the next game, and Damien's getting the ball, Devin Singletary's cool with that because he just wants to win football games. I think I think D'Amico being a former player and being with the 49ers and now being with this team here, I just feel like their ability to sniff out guys who are the right guys to bring in on deals like that is going to be 
is going to be um, is going to be at its peak. And and as long as we're talking about Rankins, John, the third sack that he had was crucial. If I'm not mistaken, it was on the drive where they held the Bengals to a field goal on that last series of downs. There's two people we need to shout. Well, actually, three people we need to shout out that it stayed at 27-27 instead of being 31-27 with a touchdown. Although I think even at 31-27, I feel like C.J. Stroud would have gone down and got a touchdown instead of a field goal if he needed to. That's how well he's playing right now. Three people we need to shout out. One is Sheldon Rankins for the sack. I think it might have been a third down sack, too, if I'm not mistaken, that, that, that forced them into a field goal situation. Two, DeAndre Houston Carson for tackling Tyler Boyd on that long catch and run that kept him out of the end zone. I thought he was – John, I thought he was going to score. Houston Carson came out of nowhere out of the screen and knocked him out at about the six-yard line or whatever it was, saved a touchdown, kept it at a field goal, so the Texans are a worst-case scenario going to overtime. Third person we need to prop up, John, Tyler Boyd himself. Thank you for dropping that ball in the end zone, Tyler Boyd. Great job by you. Second drop. First one, he dropped sprinting across the field. He might still be running. Yep. All right, John. Um, John, that was a good news and notes. I enjoyed that. That was fun. Thank you. Good job. Yeah. Um, you ready to do some mailbag, John? I'm ready. All right. We do the mailbag, H-O-U mailbag at gmail.com. We've got questions sent in from listeners. John, we got a Rockets question and an Astros question. Good. You probably want to hit some Joe Espada, John. It's in the mailbag, so I saved it for this. All I right. I want to hit some Rockets. I've been watching every good. game. And me too. I, isn't it fun to be able to look forward to Rocket games again too? Sure is. It's great. All right, let's do this. All right, this is Richard Cortez. Goes by Rick. Rick from San Antonio. He said last game. Well, he okay. This 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 email actually came in before the Cincinnati game. He was talking about the run pass split of the Tampa Bay game. I'll just go with his second question here. Who's better at left guard, Titus Howard or Kenyon Green? Titus because he's a veteran and he's played more, and we don't know squat about Kenyon Green. Yeah, but Titus is not going to—he's not a left guard, and he's not going to stay at left guard. Yeah, John, I would love to know how Kenyon Green's doing right now. You know, like we, where is he? Is he in the building? I saw him recently. He said he was still wearing his cast from his surgery. Okay, but he's—he's he's had the surgery on the, what it was a shoulder, right? I don't—I think it was a pec or biceps. Yeah, it was something. All right. Um, he says, thanks, guys. Enjoy the podcast, especially after a big win. Let's go to J.R. Cortez. I don't know if he's related to Rick, but J.R. Cortez. I keep hearing that C.J. threw his second interception on Sunday, but did he not throw one on the two-point try against the Bucs? Um, doesn't count. Doesn't count. Yeah, does not count. That does not count as a pick. It is a uh, just a two-point conversion, so it does not count. He asked us if we ever thought about getting some Utopia podcast swag. Put me down for a large T-shirt. Keep up the great work, Jr. in Spicewood, Texas. Should we get some swag, no, Johnny? That would cost money for us to get to generate it. You mean or Odyssey? Yeah, I'll let you know. ask Odyssey for the money. No, well, I don't know. If, it, if it's something we can turn a profit from, I'm happy to back it. So, all right, good idea. We're putting that on the list of good ideas, John. Where's Spicewood, Texas? Spicewood, never heard of it. Okay, he's from Spicewood. Uh, Charles Honeycutt. Is it fair to say that most Texan fans are now happy to rid themselves of Watson with how C.J. Stroud has played? In case you were wondering, I'm absolutely thrilled at my end. Um, And he's got a Rockets question, too. Um, John, I think it goes without saying people are thrilled with having Stroud and not having Watson. Um, Stroud is already better than Watson, right? Well, Watson was great in his last game against Seattle. 
in which Richard Sherman, all those DBs, said it was the greatest game ever played against them, rookie or veteran, including Aaron Rodgers, and he blew out his knee in practice the next day. But, you know, Stroud's had two great games. I want to see more of it because there were some games that weren't great. So the first two were nothing. One of them was prolific, but they got beat bad. So um, I I wouldn't say he's already better, better than Watson as a rookie. Watson had more touchdown passes, more rushing touchdowns, rushing yards. It's just Stroud has engineered those two victories. John, he has – John Deshaun had eight picks in seven games. Also, let's not forget that. Oh, I know. I'll call him about it last. Yeah, time. I know. I'm sure. Yeah, but CJ, I don't know, John. It's you. So I who can do say you... he's clearly better. No. Okay. Okay. You can say he is. No, I, I think I think I think he's I think he's better than Deshaun right now. Like I don't care about his rookies. Like I, I'm talking about right now. Who would you rather have? You're going oh, into a game. You got to win. Not very good. He's been hurt all year. Yeah. He's not played well. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's I'm I'm thinking right now. John, I also think this. Tell me if I'm crazy. I think CJ Stroud could I think if CJ Stroud got hurt on the first play against Arizona and he was done for the year, like Deshaun getting hurt with his ACL in practice, I think CJ Stroud, I think it's over. I think CJ Stroud could not play another snap and he's rookie of the year, offensive rookie of the year in the NFL. Well, I think that depends on what these other guys do that are playing a whole season. I don't think there's uh, anything they can do, John, unless Jameer Gibbs went for 1,200 yards in eight games. I've never seen know. anybody miss eight games and win an award. I know. Except but Mike he, Trout. Well, yeah. I mean, well, and, and like Shohei missed a month. He's going to win MVP going away Trout, this week. Trout misses half the season. He gets the MVP. Yeah. No, but John got it over. Bregman was preposterous. But CJ's having that kind of year. Like this is a rookie year. Like we've never seen before in certain aspects of it, you know, and his ability to protect the football while attacking downfield. We've never seen anything like this before. Nope. Not at this stage. All right. Well, maybe that's a hot take by me, but I'm going to stick by it. I think I'd say, yeah, I think he's clinched rookie of the year. That's my that's my hot take. Everybody, um, everybody is saying that, and I'm thinking, I'm thinking back to Watson. What happened with him? Hopefully, knock on wood, it won't happen to see. Yeah, that. hopefully. Charles also said, "What are some of the key reasons why the Rockets are on a six game winning streak?" John, I'll let you have at this with the Rockets since you like watching them as much as you do. Emi Doka came in as a highly praised coach when they hired him. He had that scandal with a woman at the Celtics. But he he grown up under Greg Popovich, maybe the greatest coach in history, along with Fred Auerbach. And so everybody that I looked at that I respect covering the league or in the league, it was universal praise for him. Now, he reaped the benefits of having all these high picks, but signing Fred Van Fleet was a great move. I mean, a tremendous move. He's already taken over leadership. They have balance. The, the continued progress of Singoon has been amazing. And they play defense. They hustle. They they switch when they're supposed to switch. They're just like the Texans, they are a well-coached team. They just kill the Lakers. And then they come back, and they beat the Nuggets, the defending champion who came to the Toyota Center with one defeat. John, they beat the Nuggets the same day the Texans beat the Bengals. And I, again, this is one of just a million striking similarities between these two teams over the last few years. This is a very specific one. The same day where the Texans beat the Bengals and they really beat them from beginning to end, except they let them back in the game at the end of the game. 
The Rockets did the same thing with the Nuggets on Sunday night. Like the Rockets were winning that game pretty much all night, especially from about the time, like the middle of the third quarter on. The Rockets were winning by double digits for a lot of the second half of that game. And then they just, you know, they they miss a foul shot and down comes Jokic and he hits a three. They start bombing away. Reggie Jackson hits a three. And next thing you know, it's a one-point game and the Rockets are able to hold them off much the same way the Texans were able to come back and kick a field goal and beat the Bengals. Um I, it's just it's it's really like it's almost like written by a Hollywood scriptwriter. The similarities between the Texans and the Rockets over the last few years—it's really incredible. Kind of mirror images of each other. Hundred failure and now success. Yeah, it's really it's a really really cool thing. All right, John, our guy Wale is uh, is emailing us. You ready? Ready. Hey guys, over the past few years, it's been the custom to link the Texans' performance to the phrase "bad teams make bad mistakes." I think it's safe to say we're in the phase of Texans will make them pay. When the opponents make mistakes, specifically Tyler Boyd's drop from the last game, Stroud and the Texans will make them regret it. I'm so happy for this team. I know the defense did well against the Bengals. I'm still sick of the missed tackles. I don't know if that could hold up for the playoffs. In my estimation, the Texans are bound for the AFC Championship game within three years, a Super Bowl appearance within five years. This team is truly for real. Thanks for all the great content. John, out of all that email right there, the part that I wanted to get your thoughts on is, and, and really it's it's really just to revel in something. It, it is really cool to be on the other end of team makes crucial, crucial error that should close out a game, and the other team pounces on it. Tyler Boyd doesn't catch that touchdown pass. What happens? C.J. Stroud pounces on it and goes down and gets a field goal and makes you pay. And I think Eddie caught it. Like you mentioned earlier, based on what we saw the previous week against the Bucks, he might take them straight down the field and throw them the winning touchdown pass. Yeah. Thing yeah. about this situation, when you can learn a lesson, when the coaches can teach a lesson, okay, see what happened here when it's 27-17 and when you let them get back in the game, but you teach it after a win. As D'Amico said, we got a lot to clean up, but it's easier after a win. That's a valuable lesson. Next time they're in that situation, they're going to all be confident. Watson can lead them down the field, and they will learn from their mistakes, especially Watson throwing his worst pass of the season that was intercepted. And Stroud. 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 I'm sorry. That's I keep good. saying Watson. Um, and another thing, I thought it was a terrible call by the official. When Gene Steratore said it was going to be over the expert uh, – former one of the best NFL officials, the analyst, I can't remember who, oh, Trent Green, Trent Green. Kevin Harlan, they said it's going to be overturned. A ball goes 10 yards down the field in the air, and they call it a fumble. I thought that was a terrible call. Fortunately, the defense made sure that neither Stroud fumble was capitalized on. Yep, yep. Yeah, that's in the the, the defense. that the, the Texans defense played – such a better game than the final score makes it look like, you know what I mean? 30 to 27 makes it look like it was a shootout. The Texans defense was outstanding. I thought yeah, given the yeah. opponent, they were really good. Uh, all right, John, our guy, Joe Q he's back in the uh, mailbag. Um, can you and John break down the AFC South in terms of performance versus expectations and the Texans chances of running it four and Oh, the rest of the year. I believe if we go five and one in the division, We'll win the division, even if we have another hiccup like the Panthers, uh, one or two like that outside of the division. John, what do you think the chances are of the Texans going 4-0 and in the division the rest of the way? They got two against the Titans, one against the Colts, one against the Jaguars. 
Titans are going to be going against Will Levis as long as he's healthy. They could win both of those games. Uh, the Colts, the last game, Gardner Minshew came off the bench and carved them up. He's done that before. Um, I, I'm going to say they'll go three and one and lose. Yeah, I think so games. too. I, I I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves and think that the Texans are five and four and they're going to finish thirteen and four or something like that. Even though even though I think they could win, like in a vacuum, they could win each of these games. There's no question. There's no there's not a single game on the schedule the rest of the way that that looks like this Bengals game did this past week. You know where you know you're going in as a touchdown underdog on the road. There's nothing that rem- with C.J. Stroud. That's the big caveat with Stroud at quarterback. There's none of these games that look like individually you should be fearing anything, but it's the NFL. They're going to lose a couple of these at least along the way. Like it, they're five and four. Like for me to go, they're going to lose a couple of these at least. They lose a couple of them. They're eleven and six, and that is coach of the year material for D'Amico Ryan's. You know, at eleven and six, um, there was so. a ter- a a uh, a benchmark. It seemed to be they were awful against the Panthers. They lose to Bryce Young, and afterward. Watson talked about he wanted more explosive plays and how they lead the NFL and explosive plays. Bobby Slowick, it can't just be the coverage because they've had different coverage against Tampa and Cincinnati, but it had to be a change of philosophy. He said, okay, I trust you. We're going to start throwing the ball down the field more. And what amazes me about what's happened, Nico Collins catches a lot of balls and breaks tackles. He's got guys around him. Noah Brown gets open. He has done a tremendous job of getting open. Those two guys with Tank Dell, those two big guys, Brown's 6'2", 215. Nico told me he's up to 220, 6'4", and then Tank Dell. And so um, that passing game is going to be prolific. And you said after you guys had Devin Singletary on the post game that if yeah. he carries 10 times, this game he won't be he he won't be unhappy. Well, I will be. Fans will be. Everybody will be. If he only carries ten guys, because he ought to be the starting back, whether Damian Pierce is healthy or not. All right, let's play this game then, John. They they let's say they carry the ball as a team thirty times again, like they did with Devin by himself this past game. But Damian's healthy. What do you want the split to be? Thirty carries split between Devin Singletary and Damian Pierce. What do you twenty want the split? and ten? Twenty and ten. Wow. Okay. Singletary just ran for 150 yards. I know. May got himself in the history books with the immortal Alfred Blue. He deserves to carry the ball. Maybe Pierce could have done everything he did, but it looks like Singletary has figured out the scheme, the zone scheme, where you get all the linemen go uh, horizontally and you plant that foot, go find the hole and get through there. And so I want to see him in. And if Damian Pierce proves he can start to do it too, then maybe the carries could even out. Yeah. All right. Uh, a couple more, John. You ready? Let's do this. Landon B. Case Keenum seems like he's basically a coach right now. Is that's what's is that what's next for him specifically with this staff? I talked to him about it. He is like a coach. He's one of the underrated things going on with Stroud. Uh, he spends a lot of time working with Stroud, just like Gerard Johnson, the quarterback coach, deserves a lot of praise. Case, I think, is involved in some real estate deals, and you make a whole lot more money in real estate. But he just seems like he'd be a natural coach. And I'm going to guess that if he becomes a coach, he'd either be like assistant quarterback coach here. He's not going to go right in and take Gerard Johnson's job. 
one more season, Bobby Slow is gone. He's going to be head coach. And you hope that Gerard Johnson would stay here as the offensive coordinator if he's the most qualified candidate and not go with Bobby Slowick. Texans are going to have problems with 49ers, dude, and they always have people waiting in the wings. But knowing how much Case loves the Cougars, I could see if he said, I'd like to go into coaching, I could see whoever the coach is at U of H wisely reaching out to him. Yeah, I boy, I wonder – I wonder if Case wants to do the whole recruiting thing, and you know, I I, I can see them reaching out. I if I'm Case, I stay above the college fray and just stay. Case is set up to get into this. Case is set up to be in the HOV lane into this whole Kubiak, Shanahan, Slowick, D'Amico, McDaniel, you know, the whole the whole thing. He's he's set up to get right into this tree right now, John. After he's retired, he could go from being assistant quarterback coach, quarterback coach, coordinator, and head coach. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right. Um, uh, d- this is our guy Dave Howard, John from uh, Round Rock, I believe, right? Right. Says the story is that C.J. Stroud asked Nick Casario to draft Tank Dell. Hang on, John. I know you're going to shoot holes in this. If that's true, and you got to ask Nick about this, he says, like Nick's going to give an answer. C.J. may have ba- made the best pick in the draft after his own Tank being a third rounder. John, what do you have to say about C.J. Stroud? Asking Nick Casario to draft Tank Dell. <laughs> well, let's see. Since Stroud was in New York and Casario was hunkered down at NRG Stadium and Stroud was being doing all these interviews and everything and being with his family, I mm-hmm. uh, find it really hard to believe he had time to call Casario and Nick could take the time right in the middle of the draft and trade talk and go, oh, okay. We'll get Tank Dell. And uh, so, no, I don't buy that. Okay. I think he praised the heck out of it, of course. Yeah. Uh, More than likely, D'Amico said, Tank's doing all those things we knew he could do. And I wanted to say, well, why didn't you draft him in the second round? (laughs) Because they're playing poker, John. They knew he'd be there in the third. (laughs) Can you see, amid everything going on in New York and everything going on in Energy Stadium on draft day and – Stroud picking up the phone or text. Oh, yeah. Nick's like, Nick's like, hang on, Domingo. I got to take this. I got to take this call. It's CJ. Hang on. All right. Uh, Dave also says, and another thing, the alleged fumble on Stroud's incompletion, the first thing the official should look at is which way the ball travels. If it goes forward, it is presumptively an incomplete pass as it's the force of the quarterback's arm propelling it forward. Simple physics, Dave says. And you're right, Dave. That was a terrible call. Yeah. I thought Tank Dell was a defenseless receiver when he got drilled in the ribs. Mm-hmm. I can't believe he came back and played the rest of that game. Just shows another indication of how tough he is. Yeah. There was another helmet to helmet they didn't call against the Bengals. I thought overall the officiating was pretty bad. It was horrible. It was a really bad officiated game. We'd be talking about it more if the Texans lost. Last one, Michael and Sugarland. What do you guys think of the Astros promoting Joe Espada? Everybody that I know who covers the team and is around the team likes Joe Espada and wanted him to get the job. And the reason is twofold. When I was at spring training, I went before they started playing. I spent a week there watching coaches, players, just observing. And one of the things I noticed about Espada, great personality. Players were seeking him out to talk to him. He didn't have any certain position group. 
Now he's he's responsible for putting together spring training. He's a bench coach. He's bilingual. I like that. And uh, he has respect. And he also doesn't have to come in, okay, I'm going to put my stamp on here. We're going to not do it the way you guys have been doing it. We're going to do it this way. And uh, I think it was the best possible hire. And if it doesn't work out, I can't complain about it because I think it's a really good hire preserving continuity on a team that's still very capable of winning another World Series. Yeah, the part you touched on there, John, with them like bringing somebody in who's not going to try to change everything around, like that's the last thing they need. I, If anything, I feel like the changes that might get made would be that this is a team that's going to conduct itself uh, a little bit more like the Hinch era than the Dusty Baker era, you know, especially the manager. I think the lineups, the way the bullpen gets handled, the use of analytics, not the overuse of it, just the use of it, I think is going to look a whole lot more. The synergy with the GM and the manager – yeah. which has been completely missing for the last several years. Really, honestly, the entire time Dusty was here. I don't think Dusty got along with James Click. I don't think Dusty got along with uh, with with Dana, Dana Brown. Brown. And and so, I, you know, at that point, once you're two GMs in, that's a Dusty problem. That's not an Astros problem anymore. So I think it's going to look a whole lot more like it did during the, the years of the, you know, the, the rise of the Astros with Hinch and with Jeff Luno. And I think that's a great thing for Astro fans. I don't think that uh, new managers, say Buck Walter, national media had him as second, the odds to get him. Buck has a way he wants to do things. Yeah. I don't want a guy coming here going to get rid of a lot of players. Want a spot ought to know what's wrong with Fromber and uh, Christian Javier and players who had bad seasons. He's going to play Yiner Diaz, and he got his chance to hit 25 to 30 home runs, be the best hitting catcher the Astros have ever had. So I'm – I'm fired up about a spot of doing the little things Dusty didn't do, and I can't wait to see what coaches the new manager brings back. Yeah, same here. Uh, John, what do you got going on these next couple of days on the website? I've got a Stroud column that's on the website. i got my grades from the, uh, from the game. I'm doing a column right now on Casario and being a candidate for executive of the year. And just what we talked about, his job in the offseason, trying to decide, along with D'Amico Ryans, who keep, who go after, can they, will other teams overspend for their guys? And last week, Warren Moon was in town. I did an interview with him on uh, on uh, C.J. Stroud because he's been following his career carefully. So I'm going to do a column on Thursday with Moon talking about C.J. Stroud. John, I enjoyed it as always. Sean, I did too. Thank you very much. It's a lot of fun talking about the Astros, the Texans, and the Rockets. I know. It's fun. It's awesome. All right. Um, hey, for those of you who have uh, have not yet done this, click on the subscribe button, and uh, you will uh, get the podcast sent to you automatically, sent right to your device, however it is you listen to your podcast. Click that subscribe button, and we appreciate that. Give us a review if you'd like. Tell us if you like the podcast. We appreciate that as well. Big thanks to James, our producer, for not only uh, getting this podcast out to you, but editing it on the occasion that it needs editing from time to time as well. Um, James does a great job, and he's the one who's responsible for getting this out in such a timely fashion. All those great YouTube clips that you get to see on our social media, that's James as well. So big thanks to him, James Jackson, and for John McClain, I'm Sean Pendergast. We're out of time. We will see all of you on Thursday. We'll preview the Texans and the Cardinals as the Texans look to go 6-4 and four on the season and set up a huge Week 12 matchup with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Until then, have a great day, everybody.